Hello, everyone. Welcome to Raising Poets and Pirates, the podcast for Christian single mothers raising sons. My name is Natalie, and today I have a special guest, and all my guests are special, but I really want you to hear Christy's story. I met Christy on Facebook in a Facebook group, and what stood out to me about her is her sense of humor. She's hilarious. Um, Her love for the Lord. She would always share and encourage the members through biblical truth, And also that she's a single mother as well to a son named Isaiah. And one instance she had posted a time where the Lord walked her through the finalization of custody of her son. And it really touched me to the core. I asked her if she could share that with us and also that she could, you know, just talk about her story to encourage us and I hope that you will enjoy this time. So, Christy, welcome. Good I'm glad evening. You're here. Thank you. Thank you, Natalie. I'm glad to be here. What I usually like to do is I like to start off with some icebreakers. All so right. A couple questions. Three. First question, apart from the Bible, what is your favorite book or movie and why? Oh, goodness gracious. My favorite book or movie. Is that what this podcast is about? Because I can talk about it for four hours. <laughs> oh, dear. My favorite book probably about God would be Knowing God from J.I. Packer. That's a great book. My f- yeah, it really is. And then I'm a huge Lord of the Rings fan. And so probably as far as movies go, those are going to be the movies that I'm always going to have going uh, around the clock. So those would be probably the choices that I would make. And Why? What was it about Uh, the book or the movie that really resonated with you? Sure. Well, as far as the Packer book goes, it is such a concise and clearly written, you know, detailed explanation of who God is. And I believe you cannot love somebody that you don't know. And so in my pursuit of wanting to love God the way he commands us to, I needed to know him. And then as far as Lord of the Rings goes, I mean, really, is there much better than than that out there? I, I mean, just the way he writes or he wrote rather. And I don't know, to be honest with you, I watched the movies before I read the books, which is like heresy for Tolkien <laughs> fans. <laughs> but I did. And um, anyway, that they're just so expertly written, of course. Uh, they're so it's fantasy and yet there's so much reality to them yeah. kind of like the C.S. Lewis writes uh, and so that's why I just really love the way they're written and how it's such a great representation of the Christian life truly mm-hmm. it is awesome no I agree with you I had seen the movies before I read the book but I had always been interested before and so with my son, I thought, okay, we watch the movies, let's start the book. And it's so rich in the writing and the detailing, like the, yeah. that, uh, <laughs> I passed out. <laughs> like at one point I was reading, I was starting in like the detail of the guests at the the event at the party. And finally I told my son, well, mommy needs a nap. Let me just, uh, yes, <laughs> we haven't gotten back to it. We're working on the Count yes. of Monte Cristo, but I, it, it's nice. beautiful writing and I'm, I'm hoping to return to that. You sure yeah. should. No, I hear you. Second question. Mm-hmm. What song is your guilty pleasure? So if you know what I mean, there's a song that when you hear it, you got to sing it. 
And in a way, if someone catches you, you're like, yeah, yeah, I love that song. Okay, you caught me. <laughs> you know, what song would that be? Ice Cube. What? <laughs> I wouldn't. <laughs> Just waking up in the morning, gotta thank God. I don't know, but today seems kind of odd. Hey. No rockers. Yeah, we'll, we'll leave it at that. I don't know if I'm going to get copyrighted. We'll just stop. <laughs> I think you're supposed to hear that only five seconds. We'll leave it at that. Mine is um, in sync. It's gonna buy my. I, I listen to my. Be me. I, just, I yep. love it. Gets me pumping. Yeah, yes. uh, that's great. And last question. If you could only eat one dish for the rest of your life, what would it be? Pizza. Ah, any particular toppings? I'm going to go with ham and Say pineapple. It. That's right. I'll receive the hate mail. Pineapple, thank you. Pineapple does go on pizza. Belong on pizza. It does. It's the way God created it, honestly. Yes. I totally agree with you. Absolutely. <laughs> Have you ever tried it with hot sausage, ground sausage, and pineapple? The spice no. and the sweet? I haven't. Oh. I bet that's good. Absolutely. But thank nice. you. Thank you. I have some friends yeah. who are being triggered right now. <laughs> oh, yes. Triggered. Hate mail. Hate mail. <laughs> and I'd like to add, it was a Canadian who thought of this idea, so it makes me feel good. Uh-huh. Yeah. uh-huh. Canadian bacon, as they yeah. call it. <laughs> so let's get started. I was wondering if um, you could read your post. It, yes, um, me. And yeah, take your time. I really want the audience to... Like hear every word and just the heart behind it because it, it was really touching. Sure. So I wrote this post uh, December 7th of 2022. And at that point, it had been two years uh, from the time that I wrote about. So I will just uh, read this to you and then we can chat about it. Great. It's been two years today that a several year long battle came to an end. There are both no words and far too many at the same time. Laura, a quirky, feisty, detail oriented attorney who fought hard to make sure things were brought to light that needed to be made clear. Diane, a seasoned legal advocate for Isaiah who spoke on his behalf and advocated for what was best for him and didn't charge me anything. A judge I will never meet who said words through a computer screen that would ensure what was best for Isaiah would come to be. Today, as I spoke to the friend the Lord gave me to walk through this very specific thing with, I recounted details from the past several years that I don't often think of purposely It's simply too heavy. And carrying those things day in and day out, it was crushing. Fearing day in and day out for years, what could potentially be was debilitating. And what I feared were unsupervised visits for my son. There are things that I want to forget, but today I realized I don't want to. I don't want to forget the details of how God was present. He moved, not simply because I, quote, got the victory, unquote. He moved others to react and act in Isaiah's best interest. 
He moved in so many terrifying moments, making me so very aware of his presence. And he moved in reminding me to look back and remember how he always provides. He moved me to faith and closer to himself. He moved in using something horrendous to bring glory to himself. Someday, I'll tell Isaiah, there's so much he doesn't know, of course. The outcome is still so sad in that his dad is not present in any way. He did not fulfill the obligations the court set before him, but Isaiah will be protected from it, and we're safe. I don't recommend kitchen table court via Zoom during COVID to anybody, but if you find yourself there or in any dark pit, it is my prayer for you that you do it trusting the one who moves us closer to himself in only the ways that he can. That was beautiful. So from that, let's, can you take us back to, if you don't mind, uh, how you met Isaiah's dad and just how it all happened to where it led to finally this, this, um, what I call it a journal entry, this sort of conclusion to such, um, difficulty, as you said, it was, um, horrendous, but then the Lord brought you through it. Yes. So what I like to do is call this chapter two. Isaiah's dad is chapter two. Mm-hmm. So I'm why to... people don't know, understand, like, I know people would think, well, what was chapter one? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask if you wanted to hear briefly about chapter one. Absolutely. Yeah. Sure. It all has to do with single parenting. Although chapter one involves single parenting daughters yeah. and chapter <laughs> two, chapter two is single parenting a son. So in 1995, I was in Bible college in California and I actually, it was 1993 and I'd been in Christian school all my life. My parents were in the ministry. My grandparents were in the ministry. My older siblings were in the ministry and there I was in Bible college and I said, nope. And I totally walked away from the Lord. And the very long story short of it is I met a guy in a bar in 1992. Uh, In 1993 and four, we dated. And in 1995, we married. And in 1996, our first daughter was born. In 1998, our second daughter was born. And in 2001, our third daughter was born. But what I did not realize is that beginning in 1993, when we met around that time frame, I was dealing with with somebody who had a um, oncoming and ongoing addiction to pornography. Mm-hmm. And so shortly after we were married, like six months, um, there was infidelity. And it was around that time that I discovered this pornography addiction. Uh, I grew up um, with very little exposure to anything like that and had no idea what to do 
really in a marriage in general, I was ill-prepared for life being the youngest of five. My siblings were much older than I was, and my parents were tired by the time I came around. And so here I was, 22, in this marriage. My daughter was on the way, and my parents, my whole family had advised us not to be married. He didn't know the Lord, although he claimed to know the Lord. And honestly, what I was busy doing, Natalie, was slowly erecting an idol right, bit by bit because I was convinced that this man was going to be my everything, everything my dad hadn't been, everything any man had never been, he was going to be it. The long story short is we were married 10 years. And over the course of that time, there was so much um, adultery, both of the heart and ultimately physically. And so um, just a few months short of our 10 year anniversary, Um, and this is after back in the day, there were phone numbers in pockets, magazines everywhere, so much porn. I just didn't even know what to do with myself. And, um, he eventually said that he, you know, acted all the things out that he'd seen and was involved in multiple affairs was not repentant in any way during, during that marriage. I really did, um, try to seek the Lord, but it was more out of how can I find a place of safety? And surely if I'm in church and I'm doing the right things, then that's going to be the safest place for me, Mm -hmm. Um, which isn't wrong in and of itself. But uh, I was not trying to honor the Lord. I was looking out for number one. And so myself, my flesh, that's idol one. And this man that I married was idol two. And not long after that marriage imploded, I had sufficiently built idols three, four, and five in my girls. Mm -hmm. And so here I was a single mom. We were divorced in 2005 and I had a three-year-old, a five-year-old, and a seven-year-old and a newly purchased home in uh, Arizona. I almost said Oregon and I don't know why. (laughs) Arizona. And so um, the way the Lord um, moved during that time, I'm telling you, is chapter one and another podcast, but um, he, he provided and it has been years of slowly tearing those idols down before I would be able to replace them with the Lord. And anytime we're in idolatry, right? We don't add idols when it comes to worshiping the Lord. We have to tear those idols down and replace with him. And so, um, that, that is in 2005, that divorce was final and I had three little girls. Um, and I was teaching music in a charter school in Arizona There were 800 uh, students through my door, kinder through eighth grade. All my girls were enrolled in that school. And so it was a sweet, sweet time. But that idol of myself was still firmly in place. And the idol of the idea that a marriage, a guy, a dude would save the day was Mm -hmm. firmly 
in place. And so around 2007, I hopped on Christian Mingle because I was going to find a dude that was going to save the day. Right. And I met Isaiah's dad on Christian Mingle in 2007. And he lived in Texas at that time. I was in Arizona. And so the red flags that I missed were due in part to three things. I would say my own blindness and desire to keep my idol firmly in place to my own foolishness in not recognizing what I should have recognized and not listening to wise counsel. And then three living so far apart from each other, not dating normally. I missed yet another addiction in somebody, but this was a raging alcohol addiction in Isaiah's dad. I had never been around anybody that was an alcoholic ever. And there were signs that I missed. And so because we didn't date regularly like normal people do. Because of the distance? Because of the distance. Yes. We did not um, have a, a proper... Uh, I, hold on. I'm like trying courtship? to think what to say. Well, before you continue, if you don't... Yeah. Uh... Yeah. I like how you keep talking about like the different idols, almost like, like layers or mm. like, yeah. yes. Now within that time, were you ever um, going to a local church? Mm. Uh, um, also, let's say when uh, your daughter's father moved on, left, did you, I guess the first idol I would think, and you can correct me, mm -hmm. is our own idol to ourself. Mm. Now, when, when the Lord was, I guess, taking them down and then sometimes like, well, I'm going to replace it with this. Would you say at that time, your own heart still wasn't broken, like your own desires, Correct. but, but you realized, okay, I'm not going to idolize my, my children. They're not going to. That, that didn't know. even come around. And the right, right now, as we speak, the Lord mm. is dealing with me on that. Okay. So, Am I clear? I'm hoping I'm being clear in terms of, cause I yeah. find it fascinating what you're saying. Yeah. And I've, I've been there too in a different story. So I find, yes. so by the time you met Isaiah's dad, did you still have maybe two out of the three idols remaining or it was still there, but it wasn't as intense. It was, we just sort of buried it. They were all up. They were still there. Okay. They were all up. Yeah. Even more so. I mean, when I say that the Lord, we have, we have to replace our idols with him for proper worship of him. Mm -hmm. Like he's not going to share the stage with anybody. Right. Right. And so those things are, are, are coming down as I am learning that they, that our idols betray us. Right. And they don't, um, they're not real. They don't just, they don't deserve to be worshiped. And the only one that is worthy of worship is, is God. Right. And so knowing that, but putting that into practice is, is a, is a totally separate thing. And that is his work. Mm -hmm. It's not something 
we can, we submit to that, but we have to see those idols and call them out and name them for what they are. Yeah. And then he deals with our hearts as he takes center stage, the the proper place. Were you, I guess, having the Lord deal with, were you afraid that if the Lord dealt with your idols, that you would be left with immense loneliness? Yes, because it's a lack of trust. Right. I want my plastic string of pearls, not the real ones you're offering me. I have a death grip on my fake little plastic 99 cent store pearls, even though he's going, give them to me mm-hmm. and trust what I have for you. It, it's, it's folly. It's, it's, it's madness, right? Mm-hmm. No, it, it makes total sense. So yeah, please continue now. Um, now the next thing you had to deal with first, it was uh, a husband addicted to pornography and now an alcoholic. Uh, so you, yeah. you, you had a better understanding when you married him or just before, but you chose to ignore it. There were things that I chose to ignore. And I remember very clearly thinking to myself, do I even like this man? Mm-hmm. But in my head, logically speaking, he was a homeowner. He had a job. He was an engineer. And there were other things that I thought would make up for the red flags I was seeing the personality. This, this man is a, um, essentially. Did he provide uh, your material security? Cause you said things like you have a house. Okay. No issues about that. I w- did that. Lots, sort of of give you comfort? lots of issues about that. Okay. I thought that that would be stability. Mm-hmm. I was not allowed to decorate anything. I was not allowed to bring my things that were boxed up in the garage into the house. I was not um, given access to the bank account. I was not allowed to have a mail key. I had to ask for grocery money. I mean, I there there is no way to describe to you um, the level of bizarre treatment that I received and, and what I'm, what it looked like at the very beginning was on, on the, on the day we were married, uh, he fell asleep right after the wedding. We were married in my mom's backyard. He went upstairs, he laid down and he, he was asleep at two 30 in the afternoon. I would later come to understand that the level of alcohol in his system was so extreme that he had very few periods of awake time. Yes, that's right. There was no reciprocity in conversation. There was no back and forth like this. And I missed all of this because I was so conditioned to this aloof guy in my girl's dad, pornography, chewed him up, spit him out, spiraled him downward and they become so disconnected from people that they're just kind of gone, right? Mm-hmm. Isaiah's dad was the opposite of that, talked constantly. He just was constantly talking unless he was asleep, right? And I took that as, well, he's got a really great, he's outgoing. I mean, those are good things. Also, he knew so much scripture, 
but the counselor diagnosed him as borderline personality disorder and autism spectrum. Interesting. And so, right. So he had fields of interest, which were religion and politics. And he could sit here and talk to you for six and seven hours on Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, and politics. But we wouldn't talk about how the kids were or what flowers to put in the yard or where to go to dinner. Nothing normal. There was nothing normal. And for nine years, we were married. And he went from being odd to being convinced that he would see aliens, but call them, he would say they're just, they're demons. And he became obsessed with guns and ammunition and hoarding food because the end of the world was coming. So I was not given any grocery money for regular, for feeding us, but he had, he was buying cases and cases and cases of MREs Mm -hmm. and had rooms and a garage filled with boxes you couldn't walk through for prepping things. I don't know all the medical terms or I don't know what the diagnoses would be, but right. He was always fearful of the end. Paranoia. That's the word I was thinking about. Paranoia, paranoia, and then controlling. How did your kids feel at that time? Was Isaiah already born? Awful. Isaiah was born one year in 2009 after we were married. And I was already planning to leave him, excuse me, before Isaiah was born or conceived. Mm -hmm. And so once I knew he was coming, it was a matter of buckling down and saying, well, you made your bed and you're going to survive this. Mm -hmm. And you, you asked about if I was in a local church And both times I was a part of a non-denominational church where there were people who cared about us and loved us. But these are not things you just share randomly with people you only see on Sundays. Right. I was in such a panicked state and really frozen state because of what I was experiencing and wondering what was normal and what's not normal and what is my fault. He was terribly cruel. He was, he was very mean and um, nobody knew what we were experiencing and how did my girls react? It was, we, we were guests, unwelcome guests in somebody else's house. He would say always, this is my house. Those are my rooms. You can't shut that door. Just um, cruel and aloof, but only emotionally, not verbally. He would, he talked incessantly, but there was no, like I said, no reciprocity, no Mm -hmm. um, emotional connection whatsoever. And so my girls really did suffer from that experience in, in ways that, that's chapter three for sure. But Isaiah, uh, by the time he was four, we, we left. And so he's 13 now. And in the time that we left up up till this day, he's spent one night over there, uh, at that house. And was that court ordered? We left for good in 2016. At that time, Isaiah was about six or seven. And, the paperwork was filed with the court 
Isaiah was during the temporary orders process, uh, had to visit with him the first, third, and fifth weekend. But during that time, he only spent one night over there the first time he was supposed to go. And it's because his dad left him alone in the house and also had, I later came to find out, had left him alone in a moving, a running car. His dad had pulled over on the side of the road to chase an animal that he saw in the road, put the car in park and left our son in the back. And this is one of many, many things that happened that jeopardized Isaiah's safety. And when you're going through this with the courts, they do not hear one instance of something like this and make a a flippant judgment and say, oh, okay, well, the kid can't go over there anymore. There has to be an established pattern Mm -hmm. of potential abuse or neglect or hazard to the child. And so uh, there was a fight as far as proving what the potential danger to Isaiah could be. And during one court uh, appearance, he showed up to court intoxicated. This was at nine o'clock in the morning. And so the judge could sense it, knew that he was intoxicated, sent him immediately for um, a blood test. And we didn't get the results of that for about a year later. And not that the court didn't have the results, but his dad knew that he was going to be in serious trouble and withdrew completely from all fighting for any kind of um, contact with Isaiah. Mm -hmm. And so for a year in about 2017, we heard nothing from him. So that showing up to court intoxicated, all the things were basically put on hold until October of 2018. I get this message from my lawyer saying he's back and he's fighting for more parenting time. And I just laughed because he hadn't even seen Isaiah in a year. So this is the court battle that I'm referring to in what I read to you just moments ago. Mm -hmm. It was a several year long court battle where he was ordered by several different judges to do random alcohol screenings. He'd have to call a number in downtown Houston to see if his color, which was blue, was called. And it was called once a month and he'd have to go down and uh, be tested for drug and alcohol abuse. So of the six months that he went or was supposed to go rather to these tests, he showed up for four and failed all four of those. Mm. The two he didn't show up for were essentially a fail. And during that time, we got the results of that test where he showed up to the courts drunk. And it was like 600 point something thousand over what it's supposed to be. I could go back and look at my notes to find out what normal is or in range. Mm -hmm. He was so intoxicated. Nobody knew how he was even alive. And so every test, the four that we did get results on were out of just so out of range. 
And there were many more things that got us to the point of during COVID having kitchen table court with a judge and an attorney and a a court appointed, not she was not court appointed. She was, that's another story that I could tell you about, but the advocate for Isaiah who didn't end up charging us for anything, but there were visits to our home um, with that advocate and they fought hard and told the whole story. And the judge ended up after an hour of hearing just the tip of the iceberg said to my attorney, do you intend to continue or can we be done here? And I was so scared. I didn't know what that meant, but she, the judge said everything that you're asking for is, is granted. And really praise the Lord indeed. And it's really because he didn't even show up to court that day. So it was a, a default and we haven't heard from him since. Wow. And that was in 2000, 2020, 2020. Now during this time, um, what was Isaiah going through or what age did he begin to pick up on? Okay. My, about his dad and how it affected him as, Hey, he's the only male influence. Like he's my father, you know, kids naturally are drawn to it, especially with boys. They, they want to identify with their fathers. They see their father as, as an example of how they can be a man. What, what was Isaiah like during that time? So Isaiah had already experienced the disconnect with his dad in the few short years that we lived in that house with him. And so he would try to connect as much as a toddler and a three, four-year-old can, but there was very little uh, give back to his efforts. And so during that time that the girls and I and Isaiah lived under that roof with his dad, I was very active in youth and community theater as a director of different um, Broadway shows. And we had really built this life outside of his dad that we were always gone. I was homeschooling my girls. And so we were on the go. We were busy. We were involved. We had an active friend group that we participated in. And that really is what Isaiah knew about Mm -hmm. that time in his life, his sisters, theater, homeschooling. I did a good job, I would say, of shielding them from the worst that he was. They didn't know other than the way that he neglected them and was not available for them, that there were things to be afraid of. Mm -hmm. They would tell you, we didn't know that we should be afraid. They didn't know necessarily till they got older about the guns and the drinking and okay they they were shielded from that and so Isaiah it's really an absent father that has been his experience and and when he's asked why um, I have said that his dad had a problem with alcohol and it was a scary time for us but we're safe and God is faithful Um, and you know, he, he 
has grown up. He's only 13. So he is not raised by any um, stretch of the, however you say that. What's the, the imagination? He's not raised by any means, I guess. Oh, is by, what oh, I, cut it all wrong. So sorry. Go, okay. No, you're good. Yeah. So he, he is only 13 years old. He is young and I am still raising him. And so as far as influence goes, I would say what he's influenced the most by regarding his dad right now is absenteeism. He's, he's not there. And so as he gets older, I'll explain more in detail, but for now he just knows that his dad is not there, that he made some really bad choices. He remembers being left alone in the car that was traumatizing mm -hmm. him. He remembers being left alone in the house that was traumatizing for him. He remembers finding beer bottles strung around the, the backyard and 20 empty beer bottles under the bathroom sink and all sorts of odd behavior from his dad. So he can put two and two together, although the courts um, have, have really made the decision for us as to how much involvement his dad can have in his life. And so he has a great relationship with his sisters. He's involved mm -hmm. in our church. He has a great relationship with his youth pastor, Trey, who is mm -hmm. really good to him. And I am actively seeking a male role model in, in our elders and our deacons now that would commit to coming alongside of him, like for the long haul right? and, and seeing that this is not just, you know, don't take him to a couple baseball games. I'm, I'm looking for you to pour into him. Yeah. So that is my prayer for Isaiah right now that somebody would would step up in that way. That's a, yeah, that's essential. It really is. So then I guess where I Isaiah might have is he close with you? Does he does it come up sometimes like, you know, mommy, I wish I had oh. a dad or and how oh, do yeah. you have those conversations and what and what do you tell him? Okay. It comes up ironically, we we watched the Brady Bunch. DVDs and we watched a little house on the prairie DVDs a couple of years ago and it would come up then. And he would say, I wish I had a dad like those guys do. And, you know, that's a good opportunity to talk about. Well, first of all, this is a TV show and it's a script and we don't know what people's lives are like truly outside of our home, let alone this fake TV show. But mm -hmm. I do hear you and uh, your wish and your, your heart is, is right for feeling that way. And it makes sense that you want that and it's God's design. And so that has led to conversations about sin and how mm -hmm. it hurts other people, not just ourselves. And um, yeah, we talk about what, what was lost and, and what, we, what he doesn't have, what I don't have, what the girls didn't have. Mm -hmm. And, uh, we just have to acknowledge it, I think, and then put that before the Lord. It's not something that I think he feels on a daily basis, okay. although I'm sure he does on some level. We don't talk about it much, but we have happy, busy lives I would be foolish to think it doesn't impact him because mm -hmm. I know it does. I know it does. In fact, the other day during a baptism service at church, there were a bunch of kiddos um, that were being baptized by their dads. 
and um, they had made professions of faith and they were being baptized. And he kind of looked at me and I leaned over and said, you know, that it doesn't have to be your dad that baptizes you. You, We believe in believer's baptism, right? And so I said, anybody can baptize you um, that knows Jesus. It could be me. It could be whatever. Um, and so, you know, I know it comes up in his mind and in his heart in instances like that. And then, you know, when we go to the basketball game for his practices and it's all the dads that brought their sons to practice and here I am, you know, I know he feels things like that then, but we have to just talk it through. And I think the long haul, the, the, the big picture here is that the Lord is sovereign Mm -hmm. and whatever choices that I made that have impacted him, because I do struggle with the fact that I feel like I made a really foolish choice in getting online, meeting a guy, moving my girls across the country, marrying somebody I hardly knew, ignoring red flags, but the Lord is sovereign and I cannot thwart his perfect will with my stupid idolatry, right? That's right. God's precious life or Isaiah's precious life uh, was meant to be by God. And so that gives me great comfort. And I know that the long, like I'm saying in the long run, he will look back and see a mom who in her imperfect ways and her ridiculous choices always recognized and attributed everything we have and everything we are to the faithfulness of God. And so, yes, there were times where I was desperate and in both chapter one and chapter two begged for God to protect and remove and change and alter and and do all the things to give me this fairy tale marriage that looked like two people who loved each other and went to church and were raising godly children and that's what I wanted but that also was an idol yeah it was well, it was I totally hear yeah. you when I got saved um and that by then my second son was was born and I I had never been married to his father but I remember when the Lord truly saved me, <laughs> first thing <laughs> after that was done, I'm like, oh, I thank you for saving me. Like he truly opened my eyes and said, now save my son's father so we can get married. <laughs> oh, man. And I look back, I'm like, yes. like what's right. wrong with you? Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, We're Israelites. We look back and say, oh, didn't we have a better then? And why are we here? And Because I think I, I want mean, to still try to fix it, you know? Yes. I'm like, okay, let's, let's let, make it how it's supposed to be. And, right. And um, right. 15 years later, I'm still not with his dad. <laughs> right. Yeah. The Lord knows best. He knows what is best. Having children, whether we're in a perfect marriage or we're out of a perfect marriage or we're not married, having children is for our sanctification, right? Yeah. They sanctify us. And God, even now, is using Kaylin and Jordan and Madeline and Isaiah to sanctify me, mm-hmm. to tear down idols of 
who I thought they would be and the marriage I thought I would have, the second marriage I thought maybe I would have, mm-hmm. and myself trying to find somebody or something to worship other than the holy God. And yeah. so he's saying, no, it's none of that. Your kids are going to disappoint you. Your girls aren't going to grow up and be what you think they ought to be. And your marriage, yes, it's going to fail. And prayers are not going to be answered the way you think they mm-hmm. should be. But in all of that, he is good and he is faithful. Mm-hmm. And that is what I have learned throughout all of this. Amen. No, that's beautiful. I wanted to, okay, before I go to the next question, just to sort of wrap up about Isaiah, and I have a few questions afterwards about you as a single mother and a woman, you know, um, where is Isaiah now with his, his faith? Is it, um, has he, does he profess saving faith in Christ or is he just sort of navigating it? I mean, he's 13. I'm, I'm just wondering. Yeah. What have you seen? Isaiah, Isaiah made a profession of faith in the Walmart parking lot when he was seven years old. And as I look back and I did this with my girls too, as Baptists and believers at the time in the sinner's prayer, I'm sure that I said to my kids, read these Awana books and let's learn these verses and let's sing these Sunday school songs. And don't Mm -hmm. you want to go to heaven? Yes. Okay. Then you say, dear Jesus, dear Jesus, I believe, I believe. And that's how you go to heaven. And it's going to be great. Not, (laughs) not, not great. Not great. But it is the way that I made a profession of faith at four, but it was not until I would say 2013 that I really had my heart drastically regenerated. Mm. And so Isaiah, he made his profession of faith at seven. Now he knows scripture and he knows probably the right answers to say. Mm Mm-hmm. And I do believe that he is saved. I have seen fruit in his life. He is he is a wise, quiet kid. Mm. He is mature in some things, but he's really immature in other ways. And so we struggle now with me being older, almost 50, mm-hmm. and just tired. And girls have I've raised them and they're out of the house and now here's this kid we have a funny dynamic where we're we are we are companions probably not in the healthiest of ways what do you mean by that not anything unhealthy what I mean is I need to remember that I'm not his friend Mm -hmm. we joke and we laugh and then he kind of has a problem if I get like turn the TV off. It's, it's bedtime. Or if I treat him like a kid, he, he doesn't enjoy that. Mm -hmm. And so part of that has to do with, he's the only kid in the house and it's just mom. And part of that has to do with, he's a snotty teenager (laughs) in a way. (laughs) And so, you know, we're, we're navigating that, um, probably 
in ways I wish were different, but it was different with the girls when they Mm -hmm. were this age. And we were going through traumatic things though. And I think really what I'm trying to say is that all of that happened not all that long ago, just five years or so. Mm. And I have been in a place where I feel like we're safe for not very long. And so I am still decompressing. Mm. That makes sense. When you are in survival mode that long for so many years, it is hard to just take a deep breath and, and be normal and have normal everyday problems and not be constantly thinking about how to survive. And so um, I'm just enjoying God's provision and in lots of beautiful ways right now. Mm -hmm. And I think as far as Isaiah's faith goes, he's in a really solid, solid youth group at our church where we've gone for 10 years now. And um, there are godly men in that church that love him but now it's just a matter of, of identifying one that we could say, you're it, you're yeah. the mentor, you're the one that's going to pour into him. But for now, I, again, God is sovereign. And leave it in his hands. Absolutely. Yes, that's right. And he's provided lots of different examples. And I listen to Isaiah and he picks up on those things and how so-and-so treats his wife and how so-and-so held the door open. And I'm like, yep, you're watching, you're hearing <laughs> So no, that's great. No, that's yeah. wonderful to hear. And then so for you in your own heart and your own life, especially from what you've been sharing with us up until now, how how have you dealt with loneliness? How have you dealt with your how has been your relationship with the Lord? Because you said at the beginning, which I I kept in the back of my head because I'm like, okay, let's get back to that. You were talking about like the Lord is still working with your idols. And so, yeah, unpack that for us, like explain even more, because I think this is really helpful to us. So I mentioned before (laughs) let me me interrupt you again, because I want to add, because as I've gotten to know you and I put that in quotations, know you like through the Facebook groups and as a Facebook friend, still, I love how you are really honest upfront. And I see you you may not tell, but I really admire you a lot. And you you teach me a lot of things that you don't realize. And so to hear that you're still, because I think I'm thinking girls got it, but to still know that the Lord has to work on my idols. I would love for you to share more about mm-hmm. that. So you asked me what my favorite book was, and I mentioned J.I. Packer's Knowing God. Mm-hmm. And that that book and really diving into the doctrines of grace back several years ago, that really stopped me in my tracks. And I realized that I put a lot of stock in who I was and the way I grew up. And I was a minister's daughter. And before that I was a minister's granddaughter and I was this and I was that. And the Lord had to peel that away from me as my identity. Right. Mm. And so these are, this is something that I'm fleshing out even right now, as we're talking Mm -hmm. that book and the doctrines of grace, a a holy God centered theology, as opposed to my self-centered man centered theology has been pivotal 
And I really thought as the way I was raised, always in church, Christian school, Mm -hmm. okay, I did some bad things. And, you know, I went to Tijuana during Bible college and I met a guy, I met a Marine and, you know, but, but I was still, I was still Christy and I was still, um, a big deal because of who I was and who my parents were. And the Lord said, no, 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 no. You're a big deal because you're my kid and I chose you and I chose you not because you did in anything. There's, there's no reason that I chose you. And I really, I really struggled with that. I wanted it to be that I was okay. Predestined and I was chosen and I was the elect because I was blah, blah, blah. And you had this legacy behind you kind of like, sure. And that's great. That's it's a, it's a good thing to have a godly legacy, Mm -hmm. but I really put too much stock in that. And so does my mother. And so did my grandparents to this day. My mom struggles with that concept. I did this and this and this for the Lord. I served him faithfully. I blah, 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 blah. And those are beautiful works that were sown by the Lord and grown by the Lord and it's evidence of her faith. But there is a fine line between understanding that works glorify God and are a gift we give God, Mm -hmm. but have nothing to do with us. And so my relationship with God and my understanding of who he is, as he showed himself faithful over chapter one and over chapter two and what is now chapter three, Mm -hmm. as he showed himself faithful, and I can look back on the faithfulness of God when I was unfaithful, those idols and my trust in who I am and my hope for my girls and my hope for a relationship. He's replacing those things that I thought would serve me well with him, with himself. Mm-hmm. And that is a beautiful thing. And it is. It is easy for the enemy to say, "Mm, it's too bad you ever did that. It's too bad that you didn't see his goodness from the get-go because he's an accuser. Mm -hmm. And so these are the things I'm struggling with now. If only I hadn't left that day during Bible college and went to the bar, only if I had obeyed and only if I had blah, blah, blah. And the Lord says, but you just said I was sovereign. Yeah. Yep. And so Paul instructs us not to look back in that way, but to press on toward the prize. And I know the prize is the glory of God, not not my honor, not my coming full circle and having the house and the picket fence and the husband who loves me and the happy ending, because the happy ending is Jesus. Amen. And I really am genuinely at a place where I believe that... If my kids don't turn out the way I would want them to turn out, but they love God, 
that is the desire of my heart. It is the ultimate desire of my heart. And that, that is enough. And it's the reason I'm on this planet is to just direct them to Jesus the best way that I can. And if they look Mm -hmm. back and see destruction in my life, but mom was always looking up to Jesus for the next step. That's what it's about. Amen. I couldn't even say it it as good as you've just said it. That is Mm -hmm. absolutely true. Going back to your family, because you come from such a strong Christian legacy, you said like missionaries, everything like that. Mm -hmm. How did they, how was Mm -hmm. it when you, maybe I don't know if you were the black sheep of the family or a sense of like the prodigal daughter, how did they during this whole time? Cause they were there, you know, as you said, for your second marriage, it was in their home in the backyard. Did they ever try to talk to you about it? Or they're just like, you know what? Christy's grown pray for you. Or did they give make you, were there any pressures? What was that like? Cause that's, that's quite a, that's a, that's a, that's a heavy mm. Christian legacy. And, you know, you're kind of messing up the brand. <laughs> you know? I'm just teasing, but you know what I mean? It's just, I do. Oh, you know, girl. (laughs) So I am the baby of five. I was born in 73 and my siblings, there are four of them are much older than I am. My parents had four kids in five years and seven years later I was born. And If you want to picture my family, picture the Partridge family complete with the bus and the matching outfits. (laughs) And that was my family who played the guitar. (laughs) no no guitars so this is early 70s it was Mm -hmm. my brother played trumpet my sister played flute my mom played piano and everybody else was a vocalist and so my mom would write four part harmony five part harmony really for my dad who was a top tenor and she trained my siblings to take each part and they, they recorded records in, in Los Angeles, California. And so my dad sang top tenor with Haven of Rest Quartet for 10 years and was offered a recording contract in LA and turned it down for music ministry in, in church. And so I was raised with my parents on the stage. I was raised on the stage, my siblings on the stage. We toured, we had the matching outfits and I thought I was pretty hot stuff. Okay. Church ministry is a tricky thing because you can be one way on the stage and another way in reality, which we see that a lot these days with social media, we Mm -hmm. see pastors falling and music masters falling back then. Nothing was public like that. Nothing. And so we were raised on the stage, but Things were a little volatile at home. My dad struggled with diabetes. And so he had blood sugar issues, real high, real low. And that led to extremes in his personality. And as he got older, there were um, really, really difficult times. And so um, growing up, as far as a strong Christian home, I would say we were performance-based I know that my dad knew the Lord. I know that my mom knows the Lord, Um, but it was performance-based and it was works-based and there was a lot of pride involved. Mm -hmm. 
And so the Lord had to strip me of that. And that's still ongoing. But as far as their reaction to me and my choices, when I met my girl's dad in Bible college, they were mortified because this was not the path my mom and dad saw me on. Mm -hmm. And they were concerned because he was not saved. And um, racially speaking, it was hard for them. I'm I'm not going to lie to you. It was, Mm -hmm. it was their, my girl's dad is black. Isaiah's dad is black. Mm -hmm. And even in California, the melting pot, they, they, they had a hard time with it. And nobody's proud of that. I'm not proud of that. They're not proud of that to this day. And it was a generational thing. It was a time period in history thing. And over the years, it would come to be that really their issue was with my girl's dad, that he was not saved. And when I met Isaiah's dad, it was almost ironic because I wasn't looking for a repeat performance. (laughs) I I was um, surprised that... um, that's how it was going to turn out in my head. Oh, another black guy. Okay. Um, that's a whole nother story. Um, they were more concerned about where I was emotionally mm-hmm. um, and making the choices that I was making and why. And so with the first marriage, my dad cried and my mom asked me not to do it. And I was so young, but my siblings, you know, said, well, we'll support you. My mom eventually came around. My dad walked me down the aisle, which I didn't think he was the day of. Okay. And uh, then over the years, as soon as I started, we started having kids. My parents were just smitten with my girls. And uh, that was the least of, of their worries until we started having trouble. And then they were very supportive. The second marriage, my whole family was very concerned and definitely tried to to talk me out of it. But again, nothing could get in the way of what I thought was going to bring me what I wanted mm-hmm. because there was such a deficit. We are made to worship and I was not worshiping God. I was worshiping self and the idea of security and marriage and not being obedient to Christ. That's really what it comes down to. Yep. Exactly. I was not obedient and my kids have paid the price. I have paid the price, but even in that God has been so gracious and so kind and has provided for us in ways that you just wouldn't believe. Even if I told you it, it really has been amazing the way the Lord has intervened in my mess. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that's how my family responded. Uh, no, thank you for sharing that. And uh, I'm going to have to have you come back again. <laughs> this this will be longer than all three parts of Lord of the Rings combined. Right. I this can keep talking. The extended version. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I'd like to, can you leave us with some advice to single mothers like myself, like, you, you know, advice on what to do when sometimes when we feel loneliness, when we're too much in, 
in our own despair and our in when we're in our own way, what would you advise to the Christian single mother? And and then can you end off with a Bible verse uh, that you may have that has been so comforting during difficult times uh, mm-hmm. on your journey? So first, yeah, with the advice first. Yeah. Oh, that's a good question. The advice that I would give is to recognize that as single mothers, we are in a vulnerable spot. Mm-hmm. We do not have male leadership. And so the way God intended families to be, we're already operating in a deficit. But God, Mm -hmm. and if we are not tapping into peace that only comes from him and stability that only comes from him, we're selling ourselves short and we're robbing God of glory. And so... It is important to have people around you that know that your goal is to glorify God and to raise godly kids. And it's important to recognize things in yourself that are signs that your eyes are not fixed on Christ. And there are disciplines that you need to have in place to prevent yourself from drifting and getting off track and slowly erecting idols for yourself. Mm -hmm. And those disciplines look like being in scripture every day. I cannot tell you how I grew up hearing that. Oh, your quiet time and oh, this and oh, that. Well, I have ADD. And it's real hard for me to do anything more than six times in a row. Mm -hmm. But that is something that I had to take to God and say, I have started that red paperback daily Bible plan every day for the last 25 years or every January. And I've never finished it. And the enemy goes, you're right. You never have. You never even get through Genesis. Ah, Ha 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 ha. Why bother? Why bother? You might as well put that thing down. And I'm like, you know, you're right. (laughs) Terrible. It's terrible. Mm -hmm. And so I finally, in coming to the knowledge of the doctrines of grace and really wrapping my head around all that, I went, how dare you talk about theology and you've not even read the whole, you've not once made it through. I can tell you where every passage is and every book and every story. Sure, sure, sure. But I have never read it from beginning to end. And so I'm making that a discipline, not because I'm so great, but because mm-hmm. I got on my face and said to the Lord, I want to do this to honor you. And I, I can't do it unless you help me. And guess what happens day after day? I wake up in the morning hungry to hear from him. And that is a gift, the gift of hunger is a gift he gives us for his word because otherwise what I'm full up my I'm I'm satisfied on all the world's crap sorry Mm -hmm. can we say yeah you can yeah we can say crap (laughs) on Instagram and Facebook and I I just feed on that 
and I'm starving. So advice to single moms, get in the word, even when you don't feel like it, even when you're convicted about it, do it, just do it and be honest with God and say, there are days that I don't want to do it, but help me want to Mm -hmm. help me be faithful in this. I need your help and then serve. Oh, that's really good. Get out of your own head and serve the body. Oh, the enemy likes to say, you poor thing. You have no one to help you. You need to be served. Oh, so sad for you. Nope. Reject that pity party and get out of your house and serve the body. Do it. I got to tell you, Christy, you have, this is one of the things where I said, you've touched me and you've really been a good influence for me, even though we're in two different countries, because Mm -hmm. I observed through, and this is where social media can be a blessing. Mm -hmm. Sure how you've been active and constantly serving the, the, um, the apartment community for freaking me how it's, I, I don't know the proper name. Yeah. The outreach. It's called apartment life ministries. Yep. And then yeah. you're with the community. Mm-hmm. Again, you said you're, you're an expert, uh, theater director, you know, <laughs> and when you show like here, here's, I'm just like, and I'm mm-hmm. here watching Braveheart for the fourth time thinking, where is my William Wallace? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, and amen, and girl. Period. Where it was just like on high rotation. Uh, but yeah, and but and I just thought I have no excuse. I can't say because I'm a single mother, and because mm. well, I don't have a husband to watch the kids. Or mm. I know we are called to serve, regardless but of here, where we are at. Yes, here here's what's mind blowing, is that. The apartment life ministry is a neat, neat thing. And yes, I am out there serving, but I don't even know if I know how to explain this. I, there, there is a, a part of that that is beneficial to me mm-hmm. in that part of the compensation is half off rent. And I would love to tell you that I'm out there serving and posting pictures and it's so wonderful and I'm serving God, I'm serving God and I'm serving God. But that while that, some of that is true, the other part is he provided the ministry to me Mm -hmm. as a provision because I do not get child support. Mm -hmm. That's right. Cause he disappeared. Houston rent is high. (laughs) And so he said, you're going to serve me here, but it's going to bless you. Hmm. And so I, I am serving residents and I am winning the opportunity to share the gospel with them. Mm-hmm. But it's not like I was like, I'm going to go be a missionary because I'm so godly. That, that really is not how that went down. Mm-hmm. The Lord is faithful and said, you're going to serve and it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. It's going to stretch you. It's going to exhaust you. You're going to tell me, but I'm a single mom and I can't serve. And blah, right. blah, blah. I also work full time as a school administrator in a Christian school. Mm-hmm. So it's exhausting. My life is exhausting. And the Lord goes, yeah, yes, it is. You're at the end of yourself, aren't you? Yep. I know but I'm going to provide and I'm going to provide and I'm going to provide and I'm going to be faithful. And I'm going to prove to you that you really don't need anything but me. 
Mm-hmm. And if my house burnt down today, my apartment, and I lost my kids and I got cancer and my mom died and my dog ran away. If all that happened. Sorry, your dog, I didn't mean to check him up. Your dog is so cute. So seeing that take off. I know. He's um, like, wait, what? Exactly. No, That'd please continue. Yeah. With all That'd that. If all of that happened, I know for sure I would flip smooth out, but mm-hmm. God would be sufficient. Mm-hmm. And I know that because I can look back and he's always been sufficient and he is immutable. He does not change. And so he'd be mm-hmm. sufficient even in the next chapter four, five, six, and seven of tragedy. Now I am praying, Lord, I've had enough. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Please let these next chapters be smooth, be smooth sailing, but mm-hmm. I don't think they will be. I really don't, but I know he will be good and kind and patient and yes. gentle and all those things he says he is in his word. Mm-hmm. Amen. What a way to end this. Christy, you have to come back. You have to, sure. <laughs> you have, I have to find a reason. I'll find a reason. For sure. A part two. Thank you so much for being open and sharing everything and and being an encouragement to all of us. And I I hope that uh, the listeners have really got some good golden nuggets out of it because there were a lot. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, thank you so much. And I really appreciate it. And and God bless you and your family and your grandma. And so your grandma of one or two? Just one. Henry, he's almost five. That's so sweet. And what a blessing. And thank you for sharing how the Lord has been faithful and has pulled you out of that fire and has walked with you. And he's going to continue to be there for you, for me, for all of us. Yes. So I want to share, I want to share Isaiah 40. Oh yeah. I 11. forgot the Bible verse. What's wrong with me? <laughs> okay, I don't know, girl. You leave out God's word. <laughs> <laughs> so Isaiah 40, 11 in the ESV says he will tend his flock like a shepherd He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom Mm -hmm. and gently lead those that are with young. And that is you and I, sister, single mom. What a great scripture verse to end this podcast. Thank you so much, Christy. This was a blessing to all of us and and especially me. And to me too. Thanks for having me. God bless. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Raising Poets and Pirates and that it encouraged you and was a blessing. If you like this kind of content and more, please subscribe to this podcast. Furthermore, if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions for future episodes, send me an email at hello at raisingpoetsandpirates.com. Also, don't forget to sign up for my newsletter to get notifications on the next episode, as well as exclusive information. Just go to RaisingPoetsAndPirates.com. Thank you and God bless.